Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 13. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, we're continuing uh, our series on what to say to an atheist, and my disclaimer, I just remind everybody of my, my dis- ongoing disclaimer, probably for every sermon, not, not for every sermon, but for this series, is that we're dealing with subject matter and not necessarily starting with the biblical text as I'm preaching. So I'm really preaching and talking about the subject matter uh, of atheism, and then what would we say to an atheist, and then we're looking to scripture to kind of help guide and give us some of those answers as well. But So I just kind of put that disclaimer out there, so if you came expecting a, a biblical expository message, that's not going to be today or next week. Last week, we talked about uh, we talked about this idea of that God is revealed to us in the natural world, that we all understand that. Today we're going to take a look at God's re- revealed to all of us through this idea that we all have morality. All of us have morality and a sense of morality and ethics. And then next week we're going to talk about uh, intellectual integrity. 
and, uh, and what that means and, what that, and how does faith tie into intellectual integrity. Uh, but how many people remember where you were on 9-11? Remember, right? Yeah. If you were around 16, 17 years ago, you remember 9-11. I remember where I was. What I, I remember the room I was in watching the TV that morning. I, we all stood in awe that morning. And we were just, uh, just, just not in awe in a good way, but in a, in a bad way. Like we could not believe this was happening. And then we were trying to make sense of what was happening and we were trying to understand what, what made people fly planes into World Trade Centers and kill people in Pentagon and in Pennsylvania. And we were reeling from that. And on September 16th was a Sunday. Do you remember where you were that Sunday? Many of us were in church. In fact, church attendance in America spiked on that Sunday in a way that we have not seen since. And for one Sunday, the churches in America were full that Sunday. And then we went back to our lives. And then we went back to watching the media and trying to make sense of it all. And then we realized and we learned through this, through our media, that, that what had happened was that people of a particular religious viewpoint or a worldview, if you remember, if you were here last week, we could talk about worldviews, that they had a worldview that said this was something that you do. And so began, we began to wrestle with religion and the idea of religion. And is there such a thing as bad religion? I was thinking about this, and if you begin to then read the atheist, the new atheism which started to emerge after 9-11, you can begin to see some of the, the rhetoric from the atheist community started to change. And in 2007, in a book written by Christopher Hitchens, in his book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything, says, people of faith are in their different ways planning your and my destruction. Wow. Notice that's 2007. A little bit earlier in 2004, atheist Sam Harris goes even a dangerous step further in his book, The End of Faith, and he says some propositions are so dangerous that it may even be ethical, ethical to kill people for believing them. Does that, does that, do you find those quotes bothersome? There's something almost immoral about them, right? And, And I've heard and I've had discussions with atheists, agnostics, with people who are, anti-religion, you know, we're, we're uh, in that world, you know, I think a lot of times people come to me as a pastor and say, well, I'm not religious, pastor, I'm just spiritual. And I go, me too. I'm not religious, I'm not defending a religion, I'm not trying to promote a particular religion, but I am wanting people to have a relationship with God. And I think about all these things as people look at these things, and I think what has happened since 9-11 is that and the atheists are just kind of, the, the new atheism is just kind of the leading edge of this is, is saying that, you know, religion is bad. Religion is, they're almost making it evil in some circles. Because why would somebody fly a plane into a building? That's a great question. What, what makes somebody do that? Is there a problem with religion? Well, if you look close enough in history, you'll find all kinds of bad things happening. You can also go back further in history and point to the Crusades and other places in history, the Spanish Inquisition. And we might assume, we might make this assumption that, well, religion is bad. Well, let me tell you about another tragedy that happened earlier in the 20th century before World War II. 
This was another tragedy. It was even worse than 9-11 in my estimation. But in, from, in 19, from 1917 to 1940, something was happening in Russia before the war. We don't really hear a lot about it historically. We hear about Hitler and Nazism. We very rarely hear about what Stalin was doing or what was happening in Russia pre-World War II. But there was another tragedy that happened in 1970-1940. In 1917, there were 66,140 priests in Russia. 66,140 priests in Russia. And just before World War II, the only 6,376 remained. The other 60,000 priests were either imprisoned, exiled, or executed in those years. 60,000. That's more than, that's more than 9-11, isn't it? Over, systematically, over a long period of time, they were being killed, imprisoned, exiled. And then in Russia at the time of 1917 had 39,530 churches in it in 1917. By 1940, there were only 950 churches left in Russia. Buildings were destroyed. Communities were destroyed. All this destruction. You know who was responsible an organization called the League of Militant Atheists. Not religion. What's the point, Matt? I would suggest to you it's not religion or atheism that's the problem. It's not the ideology it is the problem. It is when people, flawed, human, broken people, take ideology and use it for their agendas. And use it for their purposes. So I'm not saying religion is bad. I'm also not saying atheism is doing bad because of this. So this idea that because these bad things have happened, that, that makes them guilty by association, religion or atheism guilty by association may be not the way to think about it. But notice that what is it that makes us understand that whether it was the atheist movement or the religious or religion that did these things, why do we intuitively know this was morally wrong? All of us, right? Did you notice that? No matter who the perpetrator was, we know that taking life for false or fanatic ideology is just morally wrong. We know that. We understand that. We intuit that. And I would suggest to you that that is because, possibly because God has put that ethic in us. That maybe one of the things that points us to God is actually this desire for goodness, for rightness, for justice, for compassion, right? That, that maybe that was put inside of us from a creator. That we sense this, we know this, right? I think a great question, Alistair McGrath in his book, Why God Won't Go Away, poses this great question. I think it's a great question for all of us. He says, can the idea of stable, objective, moral values be sustained, be sustained without belief? in a transcendent reality such as the Christian God. See, what happens to morality when you take God out of it? What happens to it when God goes away? I don't think you can maintain objective morality. And that's what we'll look at. So there's two couple things I would say about this. One, I want you to notice that athe atheists and agnostics and deists and theists and all people have all have a sense of moral goodness. I've met atheists that are sometimes better Christians than I am, if that makes any sense. 
that they're just great people. They have a moral sense. They live good lives. And it's because I think all of us have this universal sense of moral goodness. In fact, if you look at every culture on the planet, every culture across the globe, you will see that we all possess this universal understanding of what is morally good and what is morally wrong. The four areas that every culture looks to, number one, guess what it is? Do not murder. (laughs) Every culture says this is wrong. Every culture says do not break a promise universally. We understand this. You know, if you make a promise, you say something, you're going to do it, you do it. Another universal uh, moral issue is not stealing. Every culture says this is wrong. You know, it's not like we have cultures that say over here, it's okay to murder, or cultures, it's okay. All of these are moral values of all cultures. And the, third, and the fourth one is do not defraud, in a sense. Don't, don't take advantage of people. And that is the other idea. That's a key moral theme in all cultures. So we have this universal understanding of what is good and what is wrong. And you could argue, you know, there are lots of arguments like how did that happen? How do we get that? My understanding of that from a biblical point of view, from a Christian point of view, from my worldview, is that God put it there. <laughs> that our sense of moral goodness and goodness and wrongness, that that comes from God. That that is a signpost to our creator. Go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, chapter, 20, verse, chapter 1, verse 27 says what? Whose image are we created in? God's image, right? says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And what this is talking about is this idea that we all bear the image of God, a good God. We all have this image within us, no matter what our ideology is, no matter what our worldview is, no matter what lenses we have on as we look at the world, we all have a sense that we are, we, what, what is good. We know goodness when we see it. I would suggest to you that Genesis is correct, that it is the image of God within all of us, regardless of our ideology that gives us that sense of goodness. We are all image bearers of God. Now, and I would say that any ideology, any belief system that doesn't lead to us valuing the goodness in others may be bad theology, bad ideology. So we have to think about that. Anytime we take somebody and we stop and say, you're not created in the image of God, (laughs) you're not an image bearer of God, anytime we take that away, then we can begin to manipulate things, right? Do you know that you're created in the image of God today? (laughs) And that you are, that the image of God in you is a good thing? Now it doesn't mean that it doesn't get tainted and broken by, by us, and that's a whole other sermon on the fall of humanity, but the point is, is that our sense of moral goodness is from a good God. The other thing I would say is that we all believe that each human life has value. Did you notice that too? That in this sense of goodness and morality and do not murder is also this sense that human life matters. You have value. I have value. Your life has value. You matter, right? Where does that get established? If, if you take God away, how do you know a human life has value? If there's no creator, what gives someone's life value? Let me ask you, any young people here that would like to volunteer right now? Any young person? 
I'm particularly looking for somebody younger. Just somebody, it's very simple, it's very easy. Caleb, you want to help me? No. How about your sister? Yeah, come on up. All right. Help me with your name again. Serena. Serena's going to give Serena a hand today. Good morning. Yeah. So Serena, come on up here. Yeah. This is real simple. You're, you're, you're going to like this illustration, all right? So I've got two pieces of paper. Um, they're both the same size, right? And I, just, I just want you to touch them. You feel them? They're pretty good. They're both pretty good quality. I didn't, I didn't use the cheap stuff, right? They're both pretty good quality, right? They're both uh, pieces of paper. They're both the same size. And my question to you is, which one of these would you like me to give you? Why this one? Because this is worth something? I, I think this is worth more. I, I think you ought to take this one. What do you think? Is that worth more than this? It's, a, it's not a trick question, right? Not a quick trick question. But here, wait, does anybody have a pen? Sorry, does anybody have a pen, right? All right, cool, thanks. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to write a million dollars on this piece of paper, right? I'm going to write that on there. Now which one do you want? Do you want the one that I wrote million dollars on? I'm, I'm telling you this is worth a million dollars. <laughs> you still want this one? Why do you want this one? I'm just saying that one is worth my right. Absolutely. You're very smart, by the way. And now, why do you think this one has value over this one? What gives it value? Do you know that? That's maybe a little bit harder question. Anybody else? Any, well, can, should we ask them? What, what gives this value? We all decided it did, does, but I, did, I could, I mean, we as a community, as a, as a government, right? But it's something called the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve sets this value, right, for us, right? So there's actually an authority beyond ourselves. So you and I as individuals just can't go around saying, hey, this is worth a million, this is worth five dollars, right? You know, we can't do that, right? Because there's someone in authority, right, or someone beyond us that says this has value, and then we all agree to what? To respect that authority, right? And that's what gives us, and there's, now by the way, all the economists out here, I just want to say, calm down for a minute, right? <laughs> Just say, it's okay, this is just, an, this is just an illustration, right? All analogies break down. I do know how the economy works, and because I know what's going to happen. They're gonna, but, but then we get this, and then we get that, and what's happening? You know, so don't worry about that. Here, have $5. Give her a hand. <laughs> Simple, right? <laughs> you and I have value because we are created by God. You and I have value because God created us, right? And if we take God out of that worldview or out of that thinking or out of that belief, so you take God away from that, then my question is who assigns value to human life? How do we get and understand value? Then it becomes subjective, right? We can't have objective morality anymore because we then become subjective. Now we can go back to World War II, and look at Nazi Germany. And we look at Nazi Germany, and, we, and they took this idea, you know, without God, they began to say, hey, genetic science 
teaches us that this, we can create this superhuman race, right? And so we can place value on this group of people because of their genetics over this pe- group of people because of their genetics. And this becomes a very dark ethical issue, right? Because then who becomes the assigner of value in that scenario, in the Nazi Germany? Who was assigning value? And the other thing, everybody says, well, we all agree that the $5 bills are... Well, so did Nazi, Nazi, the Nazis in Germany, not all of Germany. They all came together as a community and agreed that this group of people was more important and valuable than this group of people. They became the ones that assigned value to one race over another race because of genetics. I always find it interesting that they picked on the God's chosen people. Why? Why that? And if you go into the Holocaust Museum... Um, and you go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. or in Israel, you'll see that they had a list of races as they believed they were the more genetically pure races versus the genetically inferior races, and the Jewish people were at the bottom of that list. But they, there were all these other races and ethnicities in between German people and Jewish people. A, there was a whole categorization of people. That's what you can do when there's no God. That's what you can do when there's no, uh, uh, no person that created you in the image of God and gives you value and worth. When you take away that, then we as humans start to figure out who's that. And we start to do this with people, right? We begin to assign value to people when we have no authority to assign value to people. That's the problem. That's the danger with doing that. So I think about that is that's what Isaiah taught us today, Right? If you heard the words of Isaiah, and I, we're fond of quoting this verse out of Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The problem is when we assume that we are in the position of God. When we assume God's authority, when we assume that we are God, that we're in the position of God, then we start assigning value. Rather than saying there is a creator, there is a God who created us and values us and every human life on this planet matters because it matters to God. That every human being is valuable because God created them. Like an artist creates a painting and values that painting because they created it. God values you, values me because God created you. You have value, you have worth because of your creator. So here's a couple things I would say to an atheist when it comes especially to bad religion. One thing I would say is don't confuse God with angry people, right? The people that flew planes into buildings on 9-11 were angry people, frustrated people. And anger doesn't get us to God. I would also say don't confuse God with bad ideology, an ideology that devalues human life, an ideology that says to another human being that you're not valuable in God's eyes. You're not a person of sacred worth to God. That's just bad ideology, and bad, which leads to bad morality. And we all know that intuitively be true. So how do you know what's good religion? <laughs> how do you know when you've encountered a good ideology? How do you know when you've encountered a good God, a good worldview, well, you know, because God's already given you the image of God in you to sense that, to know that. But Isaiah actually spells it out for us. Isaiah spells it out. It says, come all you who are thirsty, 
come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. See, this idea, this image that Isaiah gives us is that God is inviting us to a table of joy and peace and goodness, right? That's good for your soul. When you see something that's good for your soul, that's what, that's what Isaiah is talking about. That's the table you want to go to. That's the table you want to eat at. That's the, the worldview you want to sit down at and let it nourish your soul. It's good. It brings joy. It brings peace to your life. Those are the good places. That's the goodness of God that you're recognizing, that I am recognizing, you're recognizing in the world. You know, I don't just read Christians when I prepare sermons about atheism. I actually listened to a podcast called An Atheist and a Christian Went Into a Bar. I thought that was a great title. And then uh, also uh, Seattle has an atheist church, and I went in and on and watched some of the talks that they give at the atheist church here in Seattle and just to get a sense of some of the worldview. And I've read books and I've read Dawkins and I've read other atheist writings in the past. And so I've read, done reading of atheists. So I don't, I hope you don't hear that all my stuff is one side. I read both sides of the, of the issue. But interestingly enough, I came across uh, a talk uh, from, the, from the atheist community called, is it, uh, is it ethical to punch a Nazi? You know, what's the ethics of punching Nazis? I think that was the title of it. And... That one of the conclusions was that it is ethical to punch a Nazi, which goes back to the quote I started off with earlier, that if you see you know, this idea that maybe I'm morally obligated to punch a Nazi because of what they believe, because of their ideology, right? So I, I, I find that a little problematic as a Christian because Jesus said some other things about that, like love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus promoted love and compassion even for one's enemy, and so, but there was this idea that it's morally, I may be at some point morally obligated to punch a Nazi because, you know, I, I agree. I, we, how many people, how, we would love to do that, right? Yeah. But that's appealing to our baser instincts, our own anger within us, and that's how we get into trouble. Because the problem with that type of, uh, uh, of thinking is because here's what happens next as a human being. Here's what I do with it as a human being. Is then... If I, find, if I believe that it's morally, I, I think it's morally obligated, I'm morally obligated to go punch a Nazi, here's the, what I do next. I start to label people Nazis. And I begin to label anybody who even thinks remotely different than me, I then put, can put them in that category of Nazi, and then I can convince myself that I'm morally obligated to punch them. See how that works? <laughs> See the problem with that? Now, the other thing I learned in this talk from atheists was this, that they also said something, I thought this was just beautiful, and they, and they understood this. And then they said, that, but there's something more inspirational to me. One of the guys said, there's something more inspirational to me than punching a Nazi. And he talked about a time of watching his Jewish friend go onto a bus and sit down next to a man with a swastika on his shirt and begin to be kind to him and befriend him. He said, the atheist said, that is more inspiring to me than punching Nazis. Wow. I'm like, yeah, that's right. 
And then he went on and he said, you know, the, my, my, my African-American brother who goes and hugs a white supremacist, that inspires me more than punching not. This, this atheist said this. And I said, yeah, right. You're on to something. What's that called? Compassion. Love. That we're going to inspire people more by how we love but the people that we love than the people that we punch. And the atheists, I agree with them. I know you might be surprised to hear that. But on this particular point, I agree, it is better to love your enemy than punch a Nazi. That is more inspiring, right? That when we see love and compassion poured out, it inspires us to be different because that is the image of God in us. That is the creator in us, inspiring us to something better. God is in us, all of us. Let God out. Let God out. Stop stuffing God inside and limiting God in your life. God's ways are not your ways. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. Stop, take God out of the box. Because we know this question. Here's my question I would ask you about any religion, about any ideology, about any worldview. Here's the question. Is it good for your soul? Is it good for your soul? Will it feed your soul? Will it help your soul have compassion and joy and peace and goodness? Because remember, Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. No need for law if we live by the Spirit of God in us. Let's pray together.